1: Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports, and we are continuing with the off-season interview series, and we have a treat for you today. Jared Weiss from right here at CLNS Radio, who was, I guess I'm going to have to just say it, the youngest... Uh, member of CLNS Radio to utilize credentialed access to the locker room and really pioneered video coverage for CLNS Radio and broadcasting from the locker room and bringing video. So certainly a champion for some next stage development with the internet online coverage of the Boston Celtics. Really excited to get into it with Jared, and we are just going to run right into it. A huge thanks to... Brian Robb from Celtics Hub and 98.5 The Sports Hub, our guest on Thursday. If you didn't check that one out, make sure you download it. Brian was a fantastic guest. Had a little bit of a conversation about straddling maybe this online written media versus different approaches with uh, traditional terrestrial radio, like ninety-eight five, the Sports Hub, and also his excellent coverage of summer League. So big thanks to Brian for being our most recent guest. The guest before that, Nick Gelso, the founder of c s Radio. We talked about Jared a little bit. Jared joked around, shot us a tweet and said, "Wait a second, a lot of conversation about me on the show. Maybe I need to come on and and uh, defend myself." So obviously, uh, no need to defend himself, but we'll give him his opportunity to speak. And and again. Uh, I know Nick brought this up in his interview, but uh, not only has Bobby Manning been an inspiration for this offseason interview series, but Jared Weiss was a big inspiration for my wanting to return to Celtic Stuff Live after a number of years off. So we'll get into that with Jared. Just a reminder to follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your host at CSL underscore Justin. That's me and my co-host John Duke at csl underscore duke the entire clns radio network can be followed at clns radio don't forget our facebook page facebook.com backslash clns fans and download our app for ios and android all you gotta do is search clns radio in your app marketplace and then finally as it ties into our interview today with jared weiss don't forget to go to our youtube channel youtube.com backslash clns radio we We've got high-definition, full-length locker room interviews, and of course, the Garden Report with our very own Jared Weiss, who is our guest today. Really excited to get into this. Also, uh, because this is Monday's show, we will be announcing the Fan Essentials winner for a free month of Celtics gear from Fan Essentials, so stay tuned after the interview for that. And now we're going to get right into it with Jared Weiss. Jared, thanks a lot for coming on the show, man.
0: Dude, this is an honor. This is the the OG Celtics podcast. It takes me way back.
1: Well, I remember and we met for the first time. It was either January or February, but I remember you referring to me as the OG and it's just forward to me. I I think I told you that night I was like, I don't I don't know if I see myself that way exactly, but um I even told Nick Gelso, you know, obviously the founder of CLNS Radio, when he came on a couple of weeks ago, or no, about a week ago, he was last Monday's show. I've been doing two of these a week, so now it's all a blur. I can't just say every week. It's a couple of shows ago, and Nick and I were, you know, just kind of talking about, you know, how everything got started and whatnot, and, and he brought up and reminded me that, It was actually one of your garden reports that made me say, wait a second, I really miss this. I want to get back into it. And it was because what you were doing was so unique, and I thought it was you know, really setting a new trend for online media coverage. And I
0: just want to, I guess maybe just to kick off the interview, thank you for inspiring me to come back. Well, I I have to toss it back to you. I think we're just going to thank each other for an hour here, and then we can get to the conversation. But uh, it's important for everyone here that is listening to the show that is relatively new to the show that I listened to this show when I was in high school and college. And this was the Celtics podcast that I always listened to. This is what inspired me to want to do podcasting. What, one of the things that made me want to cover basketball. I mean, it was just this show has always been great. You and Duke's I I have no idea if that's his actual nickname, but that's what I'm calling him while he's not here. And uh you guys you guys made like talking basketball actually fun, which doesn't exist in this city, at least in my lifetime, because this is the most cynical city of sports talk imaginable. And to actually have an enjoyable free flowing conversation that isn't built on hot takes and talking points is used to be incredibly rare it was incredibly rare and i think
1: that's why we created the show but but also because nobody was talking about the celtics you you bring up a really interesting point and there were almost two eras that this existed in which was the first one was nobody was talking about the Celtics period and it was because the Patriots were having success the Sox were having success even, even the Bruins were having some modicum of success but the Celtics had just traded Antoine Walker everything was getting blown up there was a time when people didn't believe in Danny Ainge we used to talk about his vision uh, and people would, would refer to it sarcastically then all of a sudden Kevin Garnett Ray Allen come into town their championship caliber but there was still a load of hot takes going on so uh, we we always did enjoy you know having maybe a more glass half full conversation and i appreciate you know you recognizing that and i can tell you the downloads for shows nowadays for podcasts is way higher we used to broadcast live it was maybe 2 to 300 downloads and i think you know you're probably blowing that out by a factor of 10 to 20 just in the garden report going out on youtube it's amazing how it's changed and thank goodness for online media to provide, you know, maybe a different, like you said, a different conversation, something, something a little bit more refreshing, maybe, maybe a little bit more entertaining. But one thing I didn't realize until sitting with you and filming a garden report, and thank you for having me as a guest this past year. But one of the things I realized is, just how knowledgeable you are about basketball. And I thought maybe let's start there. You know, how did you learn the game of basketball? You know, how did you get engaged into it? What made you love it so much that, you know, you were you were able to move to a point in your career where you had credentialed access at a very
0: young age? Uh, well, I had two unfair advantages. The first being that I was a season ticket holder my entire life. So my dad got season tickets in 75, I think it was, in like the very back row of the balcony in the garden. And he worked his way down year by year to the point that when I was, I mean, as long as I I can remember, like I want to say in like 2000, like when the Pierce era started, we were sitting in the loge and like the 15th row behind the visitor's bench. And you could see what the coaches were doing. You could see everything up close. And by the time the Celtics won their title in 08, which was probably just about my last year or two as an actual fan before transitioning to trying to be objective and be a journalist, I, I we were sitting in section five no section 13 row five seats three and four so we were on the foul line extended right across from the Celtics bench we were basically it was row five but with the courtside seats probably really like the eighth or ninth row Uh, but we were right there when the Celtics won the title I mean we were going to more at least half of the games every single year Um, and I was just I was fascinated by the game i was studying the game i was lucky that i had up close seats that uh for most of my life and it was something that i was really passionate about um and also i was never that good as a player when i was a kid like i was always like very a very skilled i was basically a power forward that could pass really well and had a lot of really good post skills um, but couldn't dribble with even my right hand, and my left hand just falls off every time I touch the ball, and I was always in terrible shape. So I really focus more on studying the pro game rather than really improving on my game. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you what, I could definitely uh, identify with that, because when I started high school, I was 4'11". At the end of wow. my sophomore year, I was 5'1". You've seen me. I'm not tall by any stretch of the imagination now, but at least I'm average height. I'm about 5'9". But I was a very late bloomer, and I was even blessed with the gift of flat feet. So you can just imagine I, I was not doing a lot of sports, My, but I loved basketball just like you. And so my thing on the playground was I'm going to park out in the corner and shoot the, you know, the short three and just bail it out to me, which I got to take one or two if I was lucky per game. But I stayed in shape running up and down the court. So I think a lot of times people come to appreciate a sport that they really love that especially they can't play. Like I know there are plenty of players who play in college who then still love the sport and, and watch it and follow it and know it. But sometimes I think guys like you and me, you know, like you said, no left hand, you, you want to play it so badly that you follow it so closely. But I'm also going to say that I think every fan listening to this show is just maybe a little bit jealous of those season tickets. That's pretty uh, – you are blessed. You gift it.
0: Yeah, and like I still would have, I still would have been a huge basketball fan. I still would have studied it all the same, but I, I can't, I can't ignore the fact that being able to be at all those games. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a huge advantage for not only I, I, there's. So basically, when the cameras aren't on, all that kind of stuff, you see what's going on when you're at the game, and if you're close enough, you can a lot of the times hear what's going on. And that – I mean that really makes a huge difference. You can understand how players carry themselves uh, in between plays and all that stuff instead of just the occasional close-ups. I mean you, you can understand a lot of – you can see a lot of stuff that you don't really notice on TV just because of either the angle that you're stuck with or just because you can kind of follow who you want to follow throughout the quarter. Because I was always someone that I always kind of picked a player I was interested in usually not like the flashy swing man or whatever. And I would just follow him and I would study – What does he do when he's going up and down the court? How does he position himself on the first – when he first gets to the other end of the court? I mean back back when I was growing up, power forwards were a huge deal and I was a power forward myself. So I would study – Guys like Al Jefferson and Antoine Walker, the kind of, you know, the two best power fours before KG came around. And I would study what do they do for an early post setup right when they would get down court, stuff like that. Now, Antoine, he would usually be checking out a girl in the stands or just setting up on the elbow waiting to take a three. So Al was the guy I really emulated. Um, And I was I was really interested just what were all the things that they, they did to put themselves in position to make an easy play? Because. I always felt that, especially growing up in the Iverson and Kobe era, that people were so obsessed with guys that could make nothing or something out of nothing. But I was more interested in guys that I felt were more responsible and smart about it where it was – they would just kind of try to put themselves in better position early on so that they didn't have to make such a spectacular play because – over the course of the game, and especially in the fourth quarter when whistles start to go back in the pockets and defense tightens up and you're allowed to get more physical, you can't really get away with all of the stuff to make something out of nothing that you are able to earlier in the game, unless you're like, you know, a guy like Iverson or Kobe.
1: You know, that's really interesting too, because you bring up Antoine Walker and Al Jefferson. And from the fans' perspective, which you mentioned listening to our show when you were in high school so that those that era when you were going and watching the games you were still sort of fully in the fan mode but what did you think about antoine walker getting traded and you know obviously you, al jefferson was a huge favorite of mine even before they drafted him that year i was like oh i th- hope this guy falls you know i know he's young i know we're going to draft him out of high school but i just we need a power forward so badly and we had had this point forward but Everybody else was pretty down on Danny Ainge and down on all these trades because Antoine was so beloved by the city and the fan base. You know, as a character, as a player, what was your take at the time? Because you just talked about how you watched the game as a fan. I almost think you were
0: on to Antoine, but that's a hunch. No, I was so glad they traded Antoine that first time. I thought, I, I thought it was a great trade. I I looked at him as basically someone that. You can that you're never gonna you're never gonna win with because he was someone that wasn't able he was basically always getting into an offensive play looking to figure out how can I get a bucket. It wasn't looking to figure out how can we make the best play for the team uh, which is something that I think even Pierce, was starting to become before even KG kind of came in and really changed everything about the way he played. I always had the i always I always watched Pierce and felt like this is a guy that I think could be more of someone that can run an offense when he has the right tools around it. But Antoine, when he was I can't even remember exactly which year it was, but when he started leading the league in three point attempts, like getting close to the record for three point attempts in the season, it, it was pretty obvious that he he wasn't trying. It wasn't like he was trying to stretch the floor. He was just trying to get his he was trying to get his buckets and. I I lost so much enjoyment out of Antoine because Antoine was such a fun player to watch. And his he's one of the most skilled power forwards ever played the game. He is at, there's no question he's one of the best guys on the in, out of the high post we've ever seen. The the moves he had, the power he had, and the athleticism he had, he was incredible. He was like when Marvin Barnes like could have become if he you know stayed out stayed uh healthier off the drugs. And he didn't value doing what he did best, but rather doing what he thought could get him the most attention. That's, that's how I really think it it was when he was playing in Boston. I think he said a lot over the years that kind of indicated that that is kind of what his thought process was really. Um, He really wanted to be a star. And, you know, we, unfortunately we saw the results of the way that he carried himself with the way he went bankrupt and all the, all the other things that have happened to him throughout his career. And, you know he's he's considered a really good guy by a lot of people i've my only interactions with him has been he wanted a hundred dollars to come on my podcast a couple of years ago to promote his documentary on losing money and uh we were not. Interested at the time of giving him $100 for a hundred dollars for an interview, <laughs> uh, but although it would have been a really hold on, did interview. he reach
1: out to you because he wanted to promote it, and he said I'll do it for a hundred, or was there some sort of hey we'd like to have you come on to the show, and he said I'll do it for a hundred dollars and I want to
0: promote my book. It was the former. It was reaching. He, he reached. I think I, I it was a while ago. It was like four or five years ago or something like that. But I'm pretty sure he reached out to me or his agent reached out to me, and I'm pretty. Su- I feel like I talked to him at one point, and it might. might. Might have been through Nick Gelso, but it was they wanted to come on the show, but they wanted to get paid like a hundred or two hundred dollars or something like that because they were promoting their movie. Now, I figured they would have been aware at the time with the that the online podcast industry did not have the bankroll to be paying that much per guest when that was the income for. What are you talking about? We're all getting rich out here. (laughs) So yeah, so that didn't work out, but it would have it would have been cool, right? Um. But no, I was not someone that idolized Antoine when I was a kid. I was someone that I did – I was in shock and awe when he would like be posting up Corliss Williamson and then he wouldn't even move and he would just throw up like a baby hook from like his right pocket and it would go in. He did a, you know, his, his power uh, back and forth uh, post moves, his double spin moves, all that stuff. I mean he was so ridiculously talented. He was so unstoppable. He could have been – he could have been maybe – Maybe a Hall of Fame player if he wanted to play the game and at least, at least in a semi competently. Uh, respect, not respectable way. But if you wanted to play the game in a manner in that intelligent was at way. least somewhat intelligent, at least somewhat focused on moving the ball and not taking idiotic shots, that's stuff that you can get out of your system after a couple of years. And we've seen a lot of guys are able to do that, but he just wasn't he, he wasn't really able to do it until I feel like after things really went south for him and he was really valuable to that 06 Miami championship team. Um, mostly because at that point, they really just wanted him to be a spot-out three-point shooter and a rebounder. But Well, imagine his game, imagine his
1: skills in today's game if he had had a coach that could have reeled him in. I think one of the major problems was he was in lights and things came really easy to him, even in Boston, right? Because I don't want to say wins came easy to him necessarily, but the game came easy to him. The coach has accommodated his skill set and I think he got away, you know, I don't think I don't think that he faced a lot of adversity until he was traded away and at that point he was almost thirty and, and yes, he was valuable to that Miami squad, but he had to eat a lot of crow before he wound up with that team and sort of a, a last opportunity to put some some, you know, true success under his belt and, and try to go get a championship.
0: Well, I think having Rick Petino as his coach should not help his development whatsoever. I think that was That's basically that what was I was. incredibly detrimental to making him into a uh, a smart player. Um yeah, the funny thing is he he had an uh, he had an interview a couple years ago um, talking about why coach Petino didn't really work. And he said it was because he would sign guys, Patino would sign guys and then trade them away. And Patino was just messing with the roster so frequently. And obviously, the the trading Chauncey Billups was a horrible move and trading Joe Johnson didn't work out either. But I, I, I really, I really think it was Antoine that was the issue for the most part there. Antoine, if Antoine just maybe cut out like five bad shots a game, they would have been like a 10 win better team pretty much. Yeah, and utilized his passing skills even more as well would have
1: been beneficial. We're talking with Jared Weiss of Right Here, CLNS Radio's Garden Report, as well as Celtics blog. You can find him over there. Does Not only do the shows get posted in a partnership with Celtics blog, but Jared's been add some adding some writing as well. And we're going to just have a quick word from our sponsor, Fan Essentials. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your, pick your favorite sports team, and I imagine it's the Celtics, if you're listening to this show, and every month you get team gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to, and each fan box comes fully packed with some amazing gear. It's a great gift idea for any sports fan, and prices start at just thirty-four ninety-nine. So... You can support Celtic Stuff Live, and we'll give back to you and help you by saving 30% on the first month of your subscription by using our promo code CSL2016 at the checkout. Go to fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need. And as a reminder, Celtic Stuff Live gives away one free month of Fan Essentials each week to one of our listeners. All you have to do is retweet our show announcement with the hashtag FanEssentials. Make sure you're following at CSL underscore tweet live, so we can send you a direct message and give you all the information you need to redeem your prize. Stay tuned after this interview with Jared, and we will be announcing this week's winner. All right, Jared, so we talked a little bit about you being a fan and sort of your perspective on the team, but at some point you decide, hey, you know what, I want to do this for a living, or I at least want to do this professionally, I'm going to get after it. And as a 20-year-old, you utilized the CLNS Radio's uh, credential to go into the locker room. And I just, we've talked about it a little bit with Jeff Clark, and Nick Jelso and I talked about it, as well as as Danny LaRue early on, and we've had an amazing lineup of guests. You're the sixth in this series, and I think we're going to have six to eight more before the season gets underway and we head into training camp. But we've talked about sort of getting the credential access and Danny even said same as me he walked in but he really didn't have anybody to help him figure out where he's supposed to go but neither one of us were at the age of 20 I gotta tell you that's pretty impressive to me just knowing you know my transition and trying to figure out where I was supposed to go with very limited media experience at 20 years old you walk into the TD Bank North Garden and begin finding your way around and start talking to these players and maybe you had a Essentially, almost front row seat to the players, but you weren't face to face with them. I can only imagine how daunting that was.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing that helped was because I was so familiar with the arena, I like kind of knew where at least the general vicinity of the building, the locker room was. And I found that going to stadiums like in Brooklyn and Dallas and New York, I've had, I've gotten completely lost there the first time, no matter how many. Actually, it's really just that sign is just so poor, it's really hard to find it. Um, but for me, I was—I think I was 21 at that point when I, because uh, I was a senior in college when I got my first game, which was I want to say against the Knicks, and it was after the lockout season for 2011, and. I couldn't find the press room, couldn't find the locker room. I got completely lost. I think I might have missed all of pregame because I had no idea when the pressers were, where the pressers were. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I screwed up so much that first night. Thank you, Nick Jelso, for not firing me after screwing up before uh, that first game. Um, and then after the game, so I was... I was in a lucky position where I knew – so I knew I was credential for the season, so I didn't feel the pressure that I had to get in my – like get in my shot the first night I was there. So I don't think I even talked to a player for maybe five or six games or so. I just sat back, watched – kind of started to get to know all the uh, reporters, tried to see how the players interact because – you know, you see all the clips uh, on lo- on TV and online of the players talking, but there's so much there's so much more you have to learn when you're in the locker room of the nuances of when to talk to people, when to even look at players, where you're supposed to stand, all that kind of stuff. Not to mention over the I want to say four or five years that I've been covering the team, the rules and kind of like the best practices of where the media is supposed to go, when the media is supposed to talk, all that kind of stuff has really changed a lot um so it's it's really tightened up i'd say more so as uh, as credentials have expanded there's more people in the locker room and there's more out of towners coming in and stuff like that but for me i had absolutely no i idea. agree with that yeah. i don't
1: mean to jump on your uh, jump on Go you ahead. there in the middle of your answer but It absolutely has tightened up, even when you and I were moving around. Like I said, again, in February, when I joined you on the Garden Report, it was very different than even what it was like the year before Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. Things changed a lot when they brought those two in because they knew the profile was higher and the names were bigger than maybe some of the younger developing players. But because this squad was so again still developing this season and we really just saw them come hot out of the prior year and into last year and i expected it to be a little bit more like what it was with the tony allen al jefferson kendrick perkins era where the players were all accessible at their lockers but i think it really stuck after the the kg you know ray allen time period where i think things had to be a little bit more controlled. I I think players are still very accessible, but the manner in which it's being done, you can tell, um, you know, more and more money gets fueled into the NBA and people have to protect that brand.
0: Yeah, well, the PR departments have kind of more work than they've ever had in their lives before because now the players are able to make PR mistakes uh, on their own with social media. And and... I couldn't imagine what you're referencing there. Oh, yeah, (laughs) we're not. I'm not talking about Terry Rozier's Snapchat or anything like (laughs) that, which like, for one, I know uh, people like people get a. Uh, I guess fans will condemn players for having fun on their Snapchats and stuff like that. Like Terry, like with Terry Rogier partying. Like Terry Rogier probably did like six hours in the gym that day. Probably worked his ass off, and he gets to go out and have fun. He's got money. He's a he's a good looking young man who's was uh, a famous person, and like he can do whatever the hell he wants to have fun. He's a lucky guy. And he's earned it. So the the idea that people are criticizing players for their opulence or their fun and all that stuff, there's obviously limits which players constantly exceed. Um, that you know, but like the I think the general public perception of the fact that players are partying and they're not being responsible or respectful or hardworking is is al- almost always completely overblown and ridiculous.
1: So I I, I agree, and I also I think also. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but it seems like because of social media, it just makes it – a little bit more of a permanent record. Those things might have happened in prior to the cell phone era, but nobody really knew about it unless there was a writer there oh, yeah. or somebody else went and told somebody. And you know, you know, it, it, it and it the circle that it was exposed to was much smaller. Now it's people's lives are being broadcasted. Even people who aren't famous are broadcasting good and bad decisions in their lives Mostly all the bad. time. It, And mostly bad, right? Absolutely. But, you know, if you're out late and you're having a few drinks, it's pretty easy for something to get onto that phone that maybe you wouldn't normally have done. And uh, it's not any wonder that especially young players end up having, you know, with the success, the money. And the technology that that happens. The other thing with Terry was, I was just waiting for the tweet to come out and say I was hacked. You know, somebody stole my phone and did that without my permission. Just because that seems to be the go-to move these days as well. If something sort of
0: unpopular hits social media, I don't think Terry knows that people even knows he has a Snapchat. Honestly, but I mean, he probably doesn't care. He didn't do anything wrong, so he, there's nothing for him to say, really. I mean, for for one, guys getting hacked on their social media accounts, it's probably true like five percent of the time, but. It, it, I, that's my it's point prob- yeah it's probably the if if you can get away with it it's definitely the right play i think paul pierce did it at some point like pretty much everyone has done it but like i my tw- my twitter account has gotten hacked before and I don't even remember what happened. But I remember it was really bad, and I was like, "Holy crap!" And I deleted whatever the content was, and I changed all my passwords and all that. So it does happen, and I'm not nearly as famous as Paul Pierce. I'm like maybe half as famous as Paul Pierce. So that so it can it definitely can happen to any of these guys. Um, don't use your jersey numbers or password. It would Probably be the the best uh, advice I could give.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> or your birthday. Yeah, exactly. Um- all right, so you, you're you going in, and I really liked your approach to the locker room. It's something that I talked to Nick about when he first got credentials and, and when he was on the show last week, and it was like, just take a breather. And you did the right thing. You went in. You didn't feel pressure to go all of a sudden be an all-star because that's when mistakes get made. And you did the right thing. You observed. You sort of figured out how things work, and then you began to assert yourself. But you still did something what I would consider to be – very cutting edge, you decided to go down the road of bringing video content. And, um, you know, that's a whole different world than maybe audio. And even when we did the show this year, I didn't realize how much time, like, I'm not even sure, like, how much sleep do you get after a game? Maybe let's talk about really the commitment that you've made over the last, what, six, seven, no, eight years to to covering or covering and, and doing video and credentialed access etc it's an enormous amount of time
0: yeah i don't sleep nearly as much as i should so i I found ways to deal with it. i picked up meditation earlier this year which uh, really really helps um and coffee just like a constant IV drip of coffee is very helpful um if you can find a way to attach coffee directly to your bloodstream that would be the way to do it um but i know for me we As far as the garden report is concerned, there's so many variables to the schedule that can mess it up because we're trying to coordinate getting multiple people together who have their own responsibilities for their content production, whether they're writing or whatever. Um, you know, like Jimmy Toscano, who's been one of them, has been like my co host running this entire time. He's you know, he's picked up, he's grown so much in his role at Comcast Sportsnet. And so he's always busy with all sorts of responsibilities with them. So we have to. We're, what we're doing this year, we're gonna. You know, we're 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 always mixing it up every single year because, frankly, you're always trying to figure out what's the exact way to do it. What's the it really the way that people want this content has changed. It's gotten it's gotten a lot shorter. Um, you know, it used to be we would do three ten minute videos. We do like half an hour content because the idea was we we wanted half an hour. Um, half an hour of really good quality discussion, really enjoyable discussion, mostly because at the time our competitor was the Celtics website and they do a, a fantastic job with their short two-minute clips and that's for the most part what their content is. And it's kind of – it's kind of, they kind of do like a more in-depth version of what a news segment would be. Um, but they generally b- break it up into two- to three-minute clips. And we wanted to – we didn't want to have to directly compete with them because they already have the access advantage. They already have the quality advantage from a production standpoint and they're really talented and they do a great job. So we wanted to do – I was trying to think what's the one area where we can compete where we're kind of on our own and we figured that people basically – they watch the post-game show – on Comcast, and we wanted to attract for two crowds. Our our hardcore crowd is probably still going to be up and searching for more content after the game, and then the international crowd, that we have a ton of people on the other side of the world from, like, Australia, Philippines, China. We have a massive fan base out there. I think India has a lot of fans that watch our content. Um, So we figured... We could just do a full show and get it up like in the middle of the night. We're going to have a lot of hits coming over from the other side there. Mostly from – we have a ton of – at least with clns and celtics blog there's a ton of australian fans that are really really avid fans and i've that's so true I've never, they are very avid yeah i've never been able to figure out exactly why there's so many celtics fans in australia i think a lot of it was the bird era and that was when they were first getting the nba in australia um but i remember getting an explanation from one really avid fan that kind of uh, explained it a little bit more um and the the big three eras, the obviously the other one that created the kind of the younger millennial generation in Australia to become huge Celtics fans, um, but we we have that audience, and then we have the morning audience here. What we're going to do this year is kind of go to doing a quick three minute hitter right after we get out of the locker room, so that way we can attract a lot of the audience that's still awake for us, and then we'll have the rest of the videos. And we'll do. We found that. Basically, most people drop out after three to four minutes and only the hardcore fans are going to stick around for 10 minutes. So we've shortened it up over time, which, as you know, from doing the work with us, it can be (laughs) really grueling just to do. We we were doing like five to seven seven minute videos when you were here because we've shortened it so much over the years. And even that can be really long and take a lot of work and things always go wrong because you're working in a, the studio that you're working in is, is a stadium and you've got the cleanup crew for one going, you have a lot of the time the turnover crew for the court which is basically just like a full on construction scene which is extremely loud they turn out the lights in the stadium sometimes when we're shooting and that completely screws up our shot, we have to redo everything and we have to readjust our lighting and all that stuff because the back basically the background will completely go out and all of a sudden it looks like we're sitting in the dark in front of the campfire so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go there could be an appeal to that though. yeah (laughs) We we had i remember we had one where it was like one in the morning at that point when we were shooting so we were like screw it let's just keep rolling so i think we did the whole thing pretty much in the dark you could kind of see the shadow of the court behind us um but there's so many things that can go wrong when you're not shooting in your own studio so especially when you're doing something really long so we found that we wanted to tighten it up over time because it's the attention spans have gotten so short. And I mean, for one, you got to hit them really early with something that interests them, because now there's so much content out there. If you can't pique someone's interest within the first 10 seconds, and then really, really kind of get them locked in within the first 30 seconds, then they're going to turn you off, and they're probably not going to come back. So that was really crucial. And it's like the same thing with podcasting.
1: How do you do that without doing the hot take? I think that's something that's really interesting and I I I know you must have a thought on this but you don't really have a hot take in the way that you cover the team and it was sort of a flattering compliment that you gave Celtics stuff live as being something different at the time that we started, and you you began to, to listen. But you still don't do that. But what you just described, you got to get them hooked in the first 10 and definitely have them entrenched by 30 seconds. I mean, that's why the hot take exists, right, is people are scanning on their radio— and they're listening to different radio, maybe they're bouncing between EEI and 98.5, the Sports Hub, whatnot, and the radio stations are trying to grab you with that hot take and that quick hit and then pull you into sort of the debate or the argument in a way. How do you do that effectively for these like diehard fans so that you don't turn them off? Because they're the ones that come back every time, and they don't want a hot take. There's actually a market for hot take free zone, and I think you've mastered that. So... Maybe
0: give me an idea about
1: how you've approached that with the Garden Report.
0: Well, the the Boston uh, media market is so massive that there's enough room to just appeal to the actual hardcore fans that aren't searching for a hot take. And you can still do well and you can still have a lot of a big fan base and still have an engaging fan base. Um, I think if I went out there and I said that Jared Sollinger is a fat ass who sucks and should go – actually, I won't curse on the show whatever the point is if I were to do that, yeah, we would probably get more ratings um but I'm not gonna do that because i it's just it's one it's just i ha- I don't want to say I have too much integrity i just from an integrity point of view, I don't want to do that, and from a perspective of doing my job, I can't go out there and then go back into the locker room and then have be able to do my job because everyone's gonna hate me and you know, there's some guys that are powerful enough to get away with that. I'm not one of them, and I wouldn't want to anyway because I think it's – I just think it's completely unfair. It's usually coming from a perspective of not being educated on the subject enough. Now, obviously Jared Solinger's weight was one of the most important factors in why he fell off the face of the earth towards the end of the season and why he's no longer with the Celtics. But there are a lot of factors there, and there's a professional way to go about it. When you have a few conversations with someone and you don't spend all day with them and you're trying to make a judgment on their uh, on their conditioning, it's pretty unfair to do it without having an incredible amount of insight into why it is and I'm pretty sure I have more insight and most of the people in the locker room have more insight into Jared Solinger's conditioning issues than you know Tony Maserati and Mike Felger and those guys. but um, there's not really I don't think any of us, really get close enough without at least having a full conversation with jared and the people that work with him to really have a fair enough um understanding of all the variables there to come out and say that he's being a fat ass and he needs to get it together at least in a more professional sense but there i think in that in that subject enough came out over time and i've had conversations with people behind closed doors that indicated that yeah that was really the problem was that even his work his work ethic was not up to par and his dieting and nutrition was not controlled and consistent enough.
1: Yeah, I think it did bear itself out and you could sort of see it and there were a lot of articles talking about how much he had done last offseason to get himself ready for this year. And then there I can't remember who wrote it it just off the top of my head because you just brought up Jared. But I remember that there was sort of an update from Coach Lucas who basically said that, you know, that Jared stated he can't imagine doing that work again another off season, and it's sort of like, yeah, well, the guys that are very successful in this league put that work in year in and year out, and I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tie that right back into your coverage because Brian Robb said something on the last show, which was, you know, you can never be satisfied with what you're doing, and you even said we're changing the Garden Report every year, and I like how you've had different guests who have different traits and analysis and maybe different ways that they cover the team and what they see. And you have guys like Kevin O'Connor that are really, you know, stat-oriented and X's and O's. And then, you know, not that Jimmy isn't that, but Jimmy's got, you know, a a different perspective and and maybe doesn't go so hard at statistics. And so you've shown different things and you've really honed your craft. But I think consistency is is the most important thing. And what I mean by that is showing up, applying it, always trying to be better. Not, not that you shouldn't change the product or adapt because you should, but I think never being, this is what Brian said was never being satisfied, never being content with what you've done before. And that's, definitely I think an issue for Jared, you know, just being consistent. And I also think that it's something that you've done well is you just kept showing up, regardless of the lack of sleep, regardless of the, you know, lights going out and being like, Oh, man, now we have to retake. Okay, maybe it's not going to be 20 minutes. Maybe we're going to do five minutes, because if we have to do a retake, no problem. And Oh, now we're going to start weaving in video clips into it. And we're going to do more post production. And you kept applying your craft. And I think, You know, that's a testament to the product that you're putting out on the garden report, which I think is truly fascinating and amazing. But can you talk about consistency and the energy that it takes? I know there's gotta be days when you're walking into the garden, you're like, I don't
0: have it today. I just don't have
1: it today. (laughs) No, that happens
0: all the time. And Boston traffic will do that to you more than anything, really. So (laughs) Yeah. Um Deal with it.
1: I mean, you mentioned coffee. That's one of the ways I've gotten over that hump. I think people face that every day
0: in their daily work lives. Sometimes you just wake up and you're like, I don't have it today. I need a day off. How do you fight through that? Uh, you just I, I well the first thing is just like starting it just like once you get started then your hat your kind of muscle memory can set in so that it does most of the work for you um, you know going above and beyond every single day is extremely difficult and there are guys that are able to do it with no sleep or whatever else is going on and it's pretty it's it's amazing and um, I think that for me it's the muscle memory more than anything is what gets me through the days where I feel like crap or I'm losing my voice. Cause I haven't slept in a couple days and stuff like that. Um, you know, and coffee helps more than anything. And Adderall will definitely help as well to keep you focused. Um, <laughs> if you have a legal prescription, which I do, um, it, I knew you were going to clarify yeah, that. The minute yeah. You said it. <laughs> don't, don't mess around. Don't mess around with that stuff. Go talk to your doctor. But, um, I, I think that, Just like being organized, having – like luckily for me with my show, I no longer have to really organize it on paper because – I'm able to manage everything in my head for the most part. Um, although obviously a big part of it is that I have a producer, I two producers that work alternately. There's Kyle George and Jeremy Carr for the two people that work as the producers. They're the camera guys. They do all the, they they film everything. They edit and upload everything. I serve as the executive producer and the content creator. They do all the editor, all the editing and all that stuff. And they're incredible at their jobs, both of them. And they, remember and they can see me when i'm floundering and they can keep me on a straightened arrow they can remind me because like there'll be times where i've been i've been working for like 16 17 hours straight at this point and like i can barely even keep my head up straight but now it's time for us to actually film the show and i'll like forget what i'm about to say and they'll like remind me where i was going and then boom i'm back on track and having some someone to support you no matter where you're working having that person there that's like your partner that can keep you that can keep you going you can motivate each other and keep each other on track that is that's invaluable and luckily i have you know two guys that i work with that are just so great at that um and then uh, co- guys that appear as guests on our show, whether it's Jimmy Toscano or Kevin O'Connor, who's now with The Ringer and has taken a huge step forward in his career and is finally getting, I think, the respect and and uh, uh, kind of the getting the position that I think will get him out there and show everyone across the country how phenomenal Vitality is and how great he is at what he does. Um, and then Sam Packard, who actually moved to Philadelphia to go to UPenn for grad school, uh... Uh, and he's no longer going to be covering the Celtics with us uh, on site, but down my
1: way, yeah, that's
0: right, yeah. But ha- having those three guys uh, in rotation on our show, and we actually we always have a, a bunch of other different guests, but those are the main guys in our rotation. Um, they 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 all bring something unique that makes them complement each other so well. And I find myself in kind of the Ernie Johnson role for the most part where I'm just kind of there to keep the bus from going off the rails and uh, and try to keep things organized and keep things succinct because if it weren't for having to actually stop a conversation or whatever, we would be filming for an hour before we even finished our first segment. So. All those guys complement each other so well, and they make it so easy where I can just kind of come up with a couple things that we want to talk about, throw it out there, and they can carry it from there. And that makes my life so much easier. So just having really good collaborative partners is really what makes all of it so much easier. All right. We'll be right back with Jared Weiss after this word
1: from audible.com. All right, Jared. So. Interesting that you mentioned that you played the Ernie Johnson role because i I've noticed that and you really are multi talented because you contribute in so many different methods of media. We talked on the last podcast with Brian Robb about diversification and the importance of that, and not just you know different media outlets but also you know different types of media and you're a fantastic writer you play the Ernie Johnson role on the garden report. And then you have a much more sort of fun loving side when you're doing like a podcast like this. And, and maybe your sense of humor comes out where the sense of humor is is present in writing, but it, it really can never put it out there the way tone of voice can. But on The Garden Report, you are. You're the Ernie Johnson. You're the straight man. You're the one that makes sure makes sure that the show is flowing and going smooth. And I just – I wondered if you could talk about your approach on these different types of media and, and maybe how – I mean, how do you keep yourself in a position where you can be a good writer and be doing the video and being the straight man and then have a more colorful personality with audio. I mean, you really do present. I almost want to call it three different characters in a way.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you know, the funny thing is, like, I'll look probably way more serious on the show and maybe even sound like, seem like I'm being a Debbie Downer, but then as soon as we all cut, I'm, like, crying and laughing hysterically. So it's it's really just that the host, you know, the host can have fun, but the host has to be more serious, needs to keep things Uh, Kind of on a straight and narrow because you have to keep control of the show because you can't let conversations get too out of control because you have to mind for time and all that kind of stuff. And then when I'm in writing, when I'm writing, I try to crack a couple jokes here and there, try to have fun with it, but try to make it still – serious um but i i mean there's a lot of really great hardcore analyses out there but they're so dry that no matter how badly you want to really you know pretend like you're a scholar and really read it from a scholarly perspective it can get really dry and it takes a lot of fun out of it so i try to throw in funny metaphors and jokes and stuff like that just to make it interesting um and then when I'm a guest on a podcast, I can do whatever the hell I want, so I get to just I get, to, I, you're, it's your job to keep me in control, so I get to have fun with the straight, <laughs> so I love it, yeah. it's,
1: it's almost like you're exacting your revenge for having to be the straight man, it's oh. all. It's almost like, well let me, let me see if I can test the waters and, and, you know,
0: have a little fun with this and see what happens. It's it's like being like a dad that's in one of those Buffalo Wild Wing commercials where you just get to go you get to go to uh, daddy heaven and just go <laughs> let loose and not do anything while the wife's at home with, uh, you know, with stains on her shirt and the baby's crying and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I get to I get to shed my responsibilities for an hour of time and just let Justin run the show. So it's nice, um, you know. And I I hate when things are way too serious. I think it just makes it miserable. You got if something's not fun, why? you have to be incredibly brilliant or have an incredible amount of cachet to not be fun and be worth listening to and there are guys out there that are that but for the most part you got to have a light sense of humor and you got to make things entertaining um i know like when I'm when I'm doing the uh, the WEI Celtics podcast with Sam Packard, when Sam is now working with Rainy J, so we're figuring out what to do there next. I know with Sam, Sam is like he's he's like absolutely wild and like off the like off the walls bonanza crazy half the time, and it's and it's it's amazing. It's so much fun. I die laughing every single time I'm in the studio with him. And so I find myself eventually having to steer back towards the middle. I'm kind of in the same thing because I'm usually the guy that balances between being the serious analyst and doing serious analysis and then messing around too. While Sam, his brother, is a uh, is an improv comedian. Sam could ob- absolutely be an improv comedian if he wanted to. He's incredibly funny and talented. Um, and I, I, th- I like it so much more than listening to the boring podcast where you're doing talking points and you're trying to have a really serious discussion that doesn't doesn't have enough content or context to uh, to really be worth actually sticking around with um you know you mentioned danny larue earlier they have with the dunked on podcast and the real gm podcast which i was on recently um it's for it, the atlantic division yeah, breakdown with tim you
1: Bob. did a great job by the way Thanks. i loved that I love episode. It. we
0: do it every year it's so much fun i love that show and you know what i love about danny is danny is one absolutely brilliant two really knows everything everything there is to know. He corrects me on stuff all the time because he knows so much about the CBA. He's he's an expert. He should work for an NBA team. They should be calling him at some point soon. Uh, but his show with Nate, they still have fun no matter even though it's like a really serious and with Real GM2. Even though it's a really serious show and it's you know, it's like it's 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 targeting the NBA nerds and all that stuff. They still they still have fun. They still laugh. They still have a good time. And, that, and that's why their their programs are so successful. And that's why Dunked On is one of the preeminent podcasts out there. And Real GM is one of the preeminent podcasts out there. Because they still manage to have fun. And it's it's crucial. Because I, I try to think of it from the perspective of what do I want to hear. And when I hear someone go with a hot take or right off the gate, I immediately turn it off. I have no interest in hearing it. And, you know, I'll probably one of the, 10 times there, I'll probably miss some actual good insight, but nine out of 10 times I'm not. And so that's why we try to stray away from hot takes. We try to make things as weird and wacky as, as possible up front, So people know that they're not listening to the same thing. And that's why either they're going to want to stick around for it. They're not going to want to stick around for it because they want the same thing. And I think just presenting, uh, presenting out the gate that, this is going to be different and unique, I think is really important. That's, that's what I always try to do. Well, it's interesting because
1: we've talked a lot about passion, consistency, work ethic, and even to your point about, oh, there are some times where just trying to get back into the flow. There's just, Hey, today's just not my day. I don't, you know, how am I going to get through this, you know, this game and staying up late again tonight and all of that. But one of the common themes in all of these off-season interviews that we've talked about is having passion and knowing that you're probably not going to make a lot of money, right? Everybody is willing to do this. Everybody would love to cover sports for a living. And so the pool, the talent pool, and even the knowledge pool that, you know, prospective, um, you know, uh, producers of shows and a full-time writing gig or full-time on-air gig, whatever it is, they have a lot to pull from and they don't necessarily have to pay a lot because a lot of people are willing to do it for less. And that's where I think you talking about sense of humor comes into play. I think that's got to be one of your biggest go-to moves on one of those nights where you're like, I don't know, I'm going to get through it. And then you've got this team and you talked about, you know, the producers of the show. And I think it, I think it would be remiss if we didn't talk about team. Cause I don't know how, this show is completely centered around sports franchise and team is obviously a theme because that's what we're watching is we're watching a team develop and yet the topic of sense of humor and having some enjoyment, which allows the, the fuel, it fuels the passionate fire that gets you to keep doing it, right? If you're having fun, it's better. But also the team around you will pick you up and if they're having fun and you're having fun. It really makes it all worthwhile. So maybe talk about, you know, the team. I've really enjoyed being with the CLNS Radio Network because before Celtics Stuff Live, we had a lot of team members, but they were more like partners. You know, we partnered with Celtics Blog. We partnered with Comcast. We partnered with a number of other outlets. But for the most part, I didn't have like a team that was really all the CLNS radio network like it is now where we can all work together. And so I wonder what your thought was about sort of the importance of team and maybe some parallels that you can draw in covering media, maybe even drawing from Kevin O'Connor and Sam Packard and Jimmy Toscano, like you already mentioned, how they were kind of, even though they weren't, clns radio network content providers they were still on your team for the garden report maybe talk a little bit about managing egos and coordination and how how maybe you're the brad stevens in that air in that uh
0: analogy oh well their egos are so massive it's so hard to control oh my god No <laughs> well the first thing is they don't have egos which makes it really easy i mean if you're working and there are plenty of people there that do have egos and when you're working with someone that doesn't have an ego it makes it a thousand times easier um and i mean we all have egos it's just a matter of can you keep it in check and can you take a can you kind of take a step back and see where your ego is going too far or it's just not appropriate um you know everyone's time is incredibly valuable especially after the game and so i try as best to respect that while also trying to apply enough pressure to get the show to actually function in the manner that my life can go can go forward at a pace that doesn't destroy me so uh, that's always something that's tough to manage, and when you give someone, I mean, part of it is give someone a little bit of ownership, right? So if you give someone, I, mean, I love watching Shark Tank, and um, I picked it up recently, and I didn't realize how much fun it is. And one thing you can see from Shark Tank uh, is is that you need to give someone enough equity in something to make them interested, because when they take ownership, they're going to apply their determination to make it uh, to make it successful. And these these guys that you're mentioning, they they see the show as a way for them to for what one be able to talk and do what they do in a non-structured environment where they don't have to deal with the limitations of whatever it is. They usually have to deal with creative control, creative control, um, content standards, stuff like that on my show. The only content standard is that it doesn't suck. So we can, we, we'll do whatever we want. Um, and that we don't, uh, outwardly talk trash to other people in a serious manner. Uh, you know, as long as we're respectful and we're having fun, we could do whatever we want, say whatever we want. So, uh, that's, I think it's part of what makes it interesting and allows people that come on the show to take some ownership of it because they can see it as an outlet for them to express themselves in the way that they want to. Um, and to be able to just get a chance to go have fun. And not everyone can always do it every single night because they're busy with their, whatever they have to do where they can't even make it to the game for whatever reason. But uh, that's that's the environment that we try to create because I know that if I'm just constantly asking them to do me a favor – Without any, anything in return for them and they're not really going to be interested even if they're good friends. So you got to give somebody ownership in something to get them to be interested or you got to present it as a way for them to make, to be – you got to show what the value is to that person for themselves because um, people can only do a favor so many times before it becomes a burden rather than a benefit. So. I try to set it up so that it is a benefit for, benefit for everybody involved and you get something out of it no matter – whether it's exposure or or, uh, or creative freedom or just having a good time or whatever it is. So uh, there's always – there's almost always something uh, in it for everybody involved and that's that's what makes me able to eventually rest my head on my pillow later just knowing that I did the right thing there. Um And you don't always get to do that. And there's a lot of compromises, especially when you're a media person, you're constantly making compromises.
1: Well, you want to, I think it's important in most relationships, or at least you will find them to be more fulfilling, professional and personal, if you give more than you take. And that's a hard thing to do when you're the one that's putting out the product and it's your brand. How do you give more to your guests than you take from them? But I think you already mentioned some of it, right? If they have fun with it, you're giving them something for coming on the show because they enjoy it. You're giving them enjoyment. Um, if the, if you have a sense of humor, then, again, that ties right into it. Creative control. You're giving them the opportunity to do something in a way uh, that they can't necessarily do in other outlets. And I think the third thing is you can help them build their their perf- their personal brand all of the people you mentioned egos and the people that you've worked with have had either kept that in check or didn't have one and that's always the sign of a successful team right as soon as somebody's ego becomes too big for the team then the team suffers and it's it's important to do that ubuntu kind of thing but how do you do that when you're not necessarily on the same team in everything that you do professionally or for fun especially again when in this world you're not really paid to do it very much if anything at all and and you know some people have had more success than that with than others but for a lot of us on online media we're not making a lot of money doing this and so with that in mind you know again giving more than you take it's a it's a really difficult proposition it has to be a lot of intangibles and i think you know what what the Probably the biggest thing that people are getting from online media is is that creative control. I got to think that that is the piece that really appeals or was missing before we had the internet and the ability to do it the way we wanted
0: because God knows people still weren't getting paid a lot. Well, I know a big thing is that everybody – so everyone has a brand now. Um, I, I was – how can I not humble brag about this? I was hanging out with a very famous person from a different field um, and from Hollywood and they were, and they started, we started talking about their brand and they were like, Oh, I, I feel so Hollywood and so ridiculous talking about my brand. And I explained to him that even in the Boston media landscape, everybody has a brand because everyone has, everybody is such a public figure at this point. I mean, especially because of Twitter Almost every single person is by the classic standard, a public figure they 're all public their thoughts and comments are all publicly accessible, uh, so especially when you 're in the media, you are managing your brand for whatever it's for whatever it 's worth and forever for whatever you want to establish it as like I want to establish my brand as more so somebody that take things seriously, but likes to have fun with it. And, well, it's more focused on giving more in-depth analysis and presenting a more a more overarching viewpoint rather than a uh, more narrow viewpoint. And I do that because I think that's what's right, and I think it's probably counteracting a lot of what the environment is is here in Boston, uh, probably more from kind of the TV and radio side, less from the print side, because I think pretty much everybody working in the print area is doing a pretty fantastic job. Um, but there's a difference between the the studio people and the people actually on the ground on the beat. Um, every every single person's coming on your show has a brand and they want to come on your show and make sure that they can make their brand shine. And if you can do that for them, then they're going to want to keep coming on. They're going to like you and all that kind of stuff. So it is really important that you create an environment with your programming that allows the people that come on it to feel comfortable and confident that it's only going to make – them be able to project themselves even more so the way they want to. And I've been in lots of, I've been on lots of shows where it was the exact opposite of that, where people tried to paint me into a corner to make hot takes or people even falsely accuse me of making a hot take where they would like misquote me on something and take the context out of what I was saying. Um, and I, I never want to go back to those programs again, unless obviously it's a big enough program where you don't really have a choice. Right. Um it, it, the, so the best the best case scenario is to create a program where people want to come back on again, and that's that's it's really only the case about half of the time. One of the hardest things that
1: any professional can can be stuck with is in a business relationship where they have to do something that's in conflict with their values. Yeah. and I think what you're talking about in terms of personal brand it, and especially the advantage of what you're able to offer as a guest on the Garden Report or what you're able to do as the host of the Garden Report or your writing, et cetera, is you're able to keep your values in line with the content that you produce, which makes it more fulfilling and more rewarding. And that's not always easy for people to do in any walk of life.
0: Yeah. I mean, you look at the radio shows in our town, the drive time shows. I mean, they're I don't think value and integrity is is really uh, at the forefront there. I'll say – toucher and rich while i think they're pretty ridiculous i don't think they really go off the deep end on their sports takes although their sports takes aren't very often um and then uh mike holly i adore and admire greatly and mike's always been great to me and he's someone that i think is one of the best b writers of uh, of our generation in boston and has continued to be a very fair and equitable person as a show host which is pretty rare in the city um i think they do a great job there um but most of the other radio content for the main programs are all hot take base where they, they say stuff that is so ridiculously aggressive that there there's just no integrity behind what they're saying and – I don't know most I don't talk to those guys about that I don't even know I don't know Felger as uh, the DNC guys personally um, so I have no idea where their integrity actually is at. but when you hear the things that they say it's so ridiculously aggressive that it's just hard to imagine someone being able to convince themselves that that really is the truth yeah um,
1: those, those nobody's really talked about traditional media and how it contrasts you know what what A lot of us are trying to do online, but I do think the more money has to be involved, the more you may have to. And I don't want to say sell out and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to make a judgment because like you said, I don't know anybody personally, so I'm just going to make a blanket statement. But the more money gets involved the more people sort of have to sell out a little bit to maintain the revenue stream in a way. And so when you talk about maintaining integrity, I think one of the ways to do that is by contributing to a diverse number of outlets. And we talked about on the last show with Brian Rob about diversifying your portfolio and that's what a lot of people, you know, if you talk with somebody and they're building, you know, a financial advisor and they're talking about where to place your investments, they'll tell you to have a diverse Uh, number of investments so that if one market is going bad, another one is lifting you up. And I think that's a great way to manage your career and I think you know, online media allows you to contribute. And where you look at some of the people that have been the most successful, look at when Bill Simmons became the most frustrated. It's when he became beholden to ESPN. He had a contract and he was locked in and he lost a lot of that creative control. We don't have to go down that road because I know we're coming up on the end of the interview here, but maybe you want to leap off on on that maybe you want to tell us a little bit of a funny story or maybe you think there's something that you know really should be added to this interview before we close but i thought i would just turn it back to you and kind of say you know what jared now you get the creative control on celtic stuff live add whatever you think we should have talked about before we close the interview
0: well as far as bill simmons is concerned there's a there's a lot that happened there that really didn't even make it to the public that i think would give you a that that would make you probably understand how everything went down a little more clearer but as far as just kind of the uh, the public optics of it that is a, the NFL ESPN conflict is probably the biggest conflict we have going in sports objectivity right now and bill bill tried to just ram through it with a bulldozer and he had to pay the price um he probably had to pay the price financially but as far as his brand i think I think it probably enhances RAM more than anything. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Because he – if people – because I mean I get – I've – I was reading Bill back when he was writing on a GeoCities blog when he was first starting in Boston when I was like nine years old. I mean I've been following Bill Simmons his entire career and he was someone that I grew up admiring. I I see the main guys that I admired growing up were him and Bob Ryan. Um Despite the fact that I completely disagreed with their homerism because I've – it is something I didn't really get to say before. I, even though I was a Celtics fan my entire childhood, I was always incredibly objective and really just always rooted for the best basketball. and was really satisfied coming out of a lot of Celtics losses because I thought they were fantastic games. But I still, of course, celebrated like my life had changed when they won in 2008 when I was still in high school because you know, that was something I dreamt of my whole life. But – um I had always been opposed to their homerism because I was always very objective and i never I never felt like a the duty of a sports analyst was to i mean obviously you you should present fandom in a way that's productive to fandom, but you're there to help educate the public and if you can educate them on how they can understand being a fan better, then that's great and that's productive. But I was more interested in educating the public on how to understand what's actually going on with sports to kind of counteract the hot take culture that I grew up in in Boston. Um, But so I think what Bill did was, was fantastic, that he had the balls to probably go too far um and his criticism of the NFL and Roger Goodell, although he definitely was right, I don't disagree with anything he was saying. And of, the unfortunate um, fallout of that was that Grayland died, and Grayland was the best was the best sports journalistic uh, endeavor that I've seen. It was it was incredible, and you see that especially by all the talent that came out of. Them. There when they shut down it's crazy these people are all now the faces of coverage for all sorts of different sites around the, around the country now. So it was really sad to see Grantland go and it shows you the conflict that you face as a you know sports journalist or analyst or whatever that you have to you have to not necessarily hold your tongue but you have to consider the risk and reward of saying exactly what you want to say and as aggressively and honestly as you want to say it because there are consequences in many different ways. Um, you know, like if you're a, if you're a credentialed reporter covering a team, you can't go after the team or go after people with full vigor because you have to, for one, you have to be consequences. Yeah. There's going to be consequences there. And there's a way that you can do it. That's more reasonable. Um, but I forget exactly who it was, but I remember there was, there was like a great sports writer who was talking about how back in like the eighties, they had some sort of story where they were told by the team or the player that if they ran it, they were blackballed. And I think they ran it, and they were. I think it was a player told them if they ran it, they were blackballed, and if they ran it, that happened. I think it was Dan Shaughnessy saying he did that with Larry Bird. He ran a story about like Larry Bird getting in a bar fight or something like that. And no, you're right. I read that article. Yeah, and Larry Bird froze him out permanently, and that was it, and it was over. I think it was the Charlie Pierce article for the Ringer where he did a profile on Dan Shaughnessy. That that was, is it, which you nailed is, it. Yeah. That's where it was, and that's you know, and that Shaughnessy piece is a must read. It's on the Ringer where you can find Kevin O'Connor as well. I'll do a shout out for Kevin again. Um, that piece is really important to read especially if you're someone that's interested in this industry because The Shaughnessy versus Ryan thing has been something I've always been really. uh, I think it's been really important to me learning about sports journalism growing up. And I think the the most important thing to know about Dan Shaughnessy is he is an incredibly nice guy. I had I won like a raffle at my school, um, at like my school like summer raffle to have lunch with Dan Shaughnessy when I was in fourth grade, and I had lunch with him, and he was fantastic. He was incredibly nice. We had a great time. He gave me, I think, like two signed copies of The Curse of Bambino, which was amazing for me as like a 14-year-old. Or no, I was probably younger than that. Whatever it was. But he was incredibly nice to me. And then I had dinner with him again like 10 years later um, when I was covering the Celtics. And he was exactly the same. He was so friendly. We had a great time eating dinner. Um, great time hanging out and talking. And he was such a nice guy. I had a good time with him. And he's He is, for all the contrarian cynicism and all that stuff, he actually is a Really genuinely friendly guy and enjoyable guy to hang around, um, but the way- well everybody has a job to do versus who they
1: are as a person. It's very different. And I and before we move on, uh, I wanted to also go back to Grantland and just make a, an observation about that and say, while it's definitely a consequence of maybe how Bill spoke out that Grantland folded. At the same time, it may be sad for all the fans of Grantland, but it's also a new beginning for all those content providers, including Bill Simmons, who get to recreate themselves and reinvent their personal brand or expand it or do it in a different way. And I think many of them are going to end up having better opportunities as a result, even though, to your point, as far as that endeavor or that product, that it's a loss for for the uh, not only the you know not only just journalism in general, or but also the online media. You know that was a big online provider of content with fabulous writing, and so you lose that. But I think maybe the people that come out of there are going to influence more uh, and more others and more budding writers and you know media personalities in the future because now it's going to be spread out. And they're going to lift more people up than, than just being conglomerated in one area by themselves as a as a group.
0: Yeah, the Bill Simmons tree is going to be like the uh, Bill Walsh tree from the Niners. You know, there's going to be all these great coaches, all these great writers all over the place who were uh, part of Grayland. Um, and, I mean, they are. I mean, there's guys like you know Jonathan Tarks, uh, obviously Zach Lowe and Bill Barnwell who are still so at the ESPN. There's tons of writers that f- – came out of there like guys like Wesley Morris who became the New York Times lead film critic I think after he left there Um, a bunch of their people went and took over MTV's efforts to reestablish themselves as a as an effective online media source so I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of evidence of Grantland's greatness spread throughout the uh, throughout the media over the next 10 years or so, uh, which is great. And there were there were a few other things that were going on with Grantland behind the scenes that led to its uh, closing. And I'm sure most people have heard that their ad revenue wasn't generating enough to sustain it. Um, but at least ESPN was smart enough to keep Zach Lowe and Bill Barnwell, who were probably the two most gifted uh, writers that they had at that site. Yeah, and we we actually talked about
1: Zach with um, Brian Rob last week from because they were both yeah. uh, there for, at the beginning of Celtics Hub, and so uh, obviously Zach has has done great great work and and even brian talking about how they were you know zach was uh w- was able to help him and and crafting his ability to write and and you know obviously zach had a master's in journalism and so um had had the ability to uh, or had the training i should say to to be so good at perfecting you know how he writes um jared this has been an awesome interview i'm i i actually i i'm a little, Sad that I haven't had you on sooner as a guest. I, and not John and I haven't been super, super condis, con, uh, consistent with guests. And I think we are also going to reformat our program in the new year where John and I do our show. And then we maybe tag on another interview and maybe we're, we'll, we'll do two shows. And to your point, people's attention spans are only so long. So we keep them down to like 45 minutes twice a week. We're not losing listeners by putting out these off-season interviews twice a week as a matter of fact our listener base is growing as a result of it so there's got to be room for John and I talking and then an interview but we're definitely going to have you on a lot more throughout this season as we kind of work you know our CLNS team together and and I'm excited to see some of the changes and what you do with the garden report this year.
0: Well, you know the reason why you guys are doing well this off season is because you're doing really good stuff that's really interesting. People are fat. Like when I saw that you and you guys did a, like an in depth personal interview with Sean Grandy. I was like, I got to listen to this because, I mean, I know Sean re- really well, but I don't think I've ever sat, had enough time really to sit down with him and have him explain his life story to me. So getting to hear all this kind of insight is really fascinating. I haven't listened to the Brian one yet, but I'll have to because uh, I don't think B-Rob's ever told me his life story yet either, even though I've had dinner <laughs> with him 150 <laughs> times. Um, You're supposed although... to
1: cry before this wraps up. <laughs> <I'm
0: sorry. laughs> well, we we are from the same town, so that, that definitely helps. But, um, I mean, people are going to go to k- great content no matter what the structure is so if you put together something good that will get other people to share it that's more important than your structure it's more important than your time it's more important than your timeliness it's really just good content will make its way out there um, if you do it enough consistently I mean obviously the first time you do like I I had a piece where like I put together this like ridiculously in-depth article on uh, on Giannis Tentacumpo where I interviewed Giannis I interviewed Jason Kidd I interviewed a bunch of other players and coaches to do this put this article together and then right when i was about to release it ian thompson who's like one of the people i admire more than anyone a writer for mba.com he put together almost the exact same type of article like a day before i was going to publish it so i had to rework half of the story make it a way more in-depth film analysis add a ton of content in there by the time i published it it was like four thousand words it was way too long but, and it didn't really get much attention at first, and then a few people started to find it, and then it got reshared and it and it blew up a lot more. And it just goes to show that if you put together, if you put something together that's really worthwhile, it will get out there eventually. And if you're able to do it again and again, it, that's what really establishes your reputation. And you guys with this, with these in depth interviews with, with reporters, getting to see us people that you usually hear talking and see talking, getting to hear the story behind it. I don't know if people find my story interesting, um, but I mean guys like B Rob and Granny and Nick Chelsea Who Nick? I you know Nick is the person I've worked closest with more than anybody in my career and his story is remarkable um and he's you know he's someone that I admire and respect so much and he's done so much for me personally and I should mention and make clear he was the one that hired me to cover the Celtics and I owe my entire career to him so thank you to him but and he trusted you as a 20 year old to go
1: in and roll when you know who knows he never even met you face to face yeah he was
0: an idiot I don't know what he was thinking but hey uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I mean, I think it worked out pretty well for him, and it definitely worked out for me. And, uh, and he's that's... told me, just so you know,
1: okay. and I, here's here's a part where you cry. Okay, uh, he has told me, you know, not not in our interview, but or maybe it was in our interview, but you know, he felt that that all of the work done on of all the work done on the CLNS radio network that your story and your success was one of the things that he was the most proud of attached to the brand. So, you know, I can tell you. Again, I mentioned it at the very beginning, but it was watching the Garden Report this year was an inspiration and a big factor to why I reached out to Nick and said, hey, I'm thinking I might want to come back. Um, so we all inspire each other. We all owe each other. And that's kind of goes back to what I think was the biggest theme here from this interview, which is try to give more than you get. You know, just try to give more than you take in any situation. And so hopefully you know Jared I've I've given you something by having you come on and be part of this series but
0: you've definitely given the show a lot more and so I I still owe you well you let me talk about myself for an hour or so what what more could I ask for right <laughs> I, I actually hate talking about myself to be honest I I just feel like I'm embarrassing myself the whole time so I appreciate you making me you made me feel comfortable which really was great but you know and and I really appreciate what Nick said that that means a lot but you know the crazy thing though is I When I started, which was like five years ago and I was still in college, that was really rare for someone that was still in college to be doing full-time coverage. But you know, the funny thing is now there's like guys – there's like high schoolers that are doing it. There's um, Jake Fisher, writer for SI.com, fantastic writer, is doing so – did so many great features during the last season. He's one of my favorite friends covering the Celtics right now. I didn't know until, like, the end of the season that he was still in school at Northeastern, and he was, like, three years younger than me. And I thought I thought Jake was, like, in his late 20s, early 30s or something like that because he was so good. He was so established. He was doing such great work that he was, like, still in college, and there's a lot of guys out there that – like Alex Kennedy I know was – I think might be the same age as me and by the time he was out of college, he was already a really renowned reporter and then ended up basically starting his own website. There's a lot uh, – Shams Jirani, a great example. I had Shams on my old podcast, The Blog Party, like four or five years ago while he was like a 17-year-old blogging about the bulls and and we kept in touch afterwards and – I started seeing him reporting and going to – he was with Real GM all of a sudden and he was like breaking stories. Now every single basketball fan knows who Shams is. He is the Woj Jr. He's Woj's protege. He is one of the biggest names in breaking news now. It's incredible and he did – he's done all that while he was in college and it's – I feel I feel like I'm way behind now compared to these guys that are coming up a couple years behind me. It's, it's because ah, – I'm almost 42. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry man <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a dinosaur yeah, I, i'm 26 now and i feel like a dinosaur so yeah it's people that came up during the twitter age are their 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 ability to grow rapidly is incredible because technology is increasing at an exponential rate and we're seeing it in the way that social media is transforming people's individual expression their individual success at an exponential rate and you no longer have to start uh, covering high school lacrosse for a newspaper in the middle of the Appalachians to get your start in the industry, which there are a lot of people that... You know what, though? There could be a sad
1: consequence to that, meaning local coverage could go to the wayside. Well... You know, people may lose interest, and I think that that would be... A travesty. I, I hope that people don't lose their passion for local sports and local teams because the kids need that little bit of, you know, lift up, you know, and especially with some of the more obscure sports that people don't even know that well, like you just mentioned in Appalachia. And, you know, maybe you're playing lacrosse. I mean, lacrosse is big in Maryland, but I'm not so sure it is in Appalachia. And so, how do those kids ever, like, we just had we just learned great lessons in our you know coming up as youth we had great coaches we, we learned life lessons that we're going to take with us forever and all of that but getting in the paper and getting written up and having your success be lauded and and to be felt like you're supported by the community we, the community is re because it's spreading out and maybe that local newspaper is losing its, you know, people just, I mean, I don't know anybody that gets the newspaper in my neighborhood anymore. I do not see one newspaper get thrown on anybody's front door and those old blue mailboxes, you know, below the mailbox for the newspaper, there's none of them in my neighborhood. And I think that's how a lot of people used to get sort of their, You know, their little recognition reward, and I'm a little concerned that that could be the downside of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I know as far as like like the Globe, I've been subscribed to every day for my entire life. My parents subscribed to it when I went to college. I subscribed to it. I still read the Globe every single day um, because they're because I at this point quality and reliability I think is is probably more important than ever because you don't really you have it used to be that you didn't really have much of a choice in your coverage. Now you could choose anywhere imaginable to go and you can be duped and we've all gotten duped especially now with like fake twitter accounts or media members and stuff like that it's crazy how much fake information is out there and having someone you can trust is more important it's more paramount than any than ever before that's why the globe is so important to me um and then as far as localization and communities it's important to note that like for instance the celtics are a great example where they, the the while that might be having an impact on uh, i guess like the the fusion uh in modern society might be having an impact on the passion locally they have a huge fan base overseas and they're expanding and really the fan base is always going to be the same size if not bigger because of the availability of people can watch Celtics footage and games from anywhere in the world pretty easily now and that that's it's always going to grow and it's always going to be strong um it's really just kind of on the league to make the product continue to be entertaining. It's why the f- football is kind of is gonna ca- it's gonna catch up to itself with the CT issues, and baseball has pretty much completely died now because people like me found baseball to be incredibly boring and uninteresting. Yeah, the attention and span factor is
1: gonna kill yeah. that sport. And
0: I know for me, when I always had my issue with baseball players was always that I thought they were way too uh, finicky and way too. Uh, kind of frustrating to respect, I guess, in a lot of ways compared to like basketball and football players. And then when the Celtics had their beer and chicken year, I just, or the Red Sox had the beer and chicken year. I was like, all right, I'm just I'm tired of watching, dedicating my time to watch athletes that are in horrible shape that go out there half-assed. It's just not entertaining anymore.
1: You know, and baseball was always so well appreciated on radio. The other sports struggle a little bit. Football can be decent, but you know so so many of the other sports are really beholden to visual but baseball was such a stat driven sport and the way that the stats were recorded it was it was very very easy to appreciate a baseball game on the radio so you just think of your dad working on the car in, you know, the garage and listening to the ball game. You can't do that with basketball. It's just you know, like I can do it driving in my car. I'll listen to Sean Grandy on the uh, NBA app all the time if I'm traveling and, you know, I can't get, um, you know, I can't get the league pass up or whatever. That's happened numerous times. And I definitely get a sense of what's going, but I have to focus on it. Baseball is one of those things where you can have it on the radio in the background and not lose track of what's happening in the game. Um, and that's unique. And as radio sort of, you know, again, to the attention span, you know, the games are three and a half hours sometimes, you know, how do how do people keep that much attention span unless it's on in the background? And I think that's one of the things that's hurting, too. And you can get the highlights the next day and how much time. Right. And yeah. usually for the stack guys, that's all it takes for baseball. You can watch. You can watch the highlights on YouTube in the morning in about 10 minutes and feel like you followed
0: the sport. All right, last thing I'm going to say here quickly, Sean Grandy is one of the five greatest play-by-play people speaking the English language, and if you don't listen to the Celtics games on the radio, you have to start doing it because he is, he is just absolutely amazing at what he does. He is, he is the standard model for play-by-play. He's incredible. I wish the NBA app
1: would give you the opportunity to sync up the radio with the video. Right, so you could. I mean, I, I love listening to Gorman, but sometimes on League Pass, I'm forced to listen to the away announcers. So you know, again, I I, I, I we're very lucky to have the quality of broadcaster both on radio and TV for play by play in Boston. Some of the top notch guys in the industry, and definitely in the NBA. To your point, but I wish you could. I wish you could sort of morph the broadcasters and be able to pick and choose a little bit because you're right, and Sean is given this show way more than this show has given him. And I also want to say, you know, he kicked off this off season interview series to really help promote it. And that was that, that deserves a huge thanks. And you've got to follow him on spike MMA because he's diversifying his career too. So I know they had a big fight night on Friday night, but definitely, he tweets it out. He gets everybody, you know, informed. But you gotta, you gotta check out MMA on Spike, the Bellator, uh, and and Sean's work there, just to see him evolve and be creative. And he's had his hand in a lot of different sports. So big thanks to Sean, but a huger thanks to you because you're the one that's on the show right now, Jared. And uh, I really appreciate all your insights. I
0: feel like I feel like we could have a part B. I went part A. We're in what an hour and a half. I'm I'm happy to do yeah. another hour and a half <laughs> next week.
1: All right. Well, we might have to take you up on it. We'll see. Maybe what we'll do is we'll tie that dialogue in, you know, to all of your appearances on the show this coming season. We're looking forward to the content you're going to put up and, and, you know, sort of the new evolution of the Garden Report for this 2016-2017 season, as well as your writing on Celtics blog. And uh, you do amazing work and you really have been uh, an inspiration. And I, and I think, on this show especially today a lot of people are going to um, you're going to take that inspiration and maybe apply it to practice because as you mentioned a lot of lot of young college students are now getting their opportunity and
0: they start thinking about it like you did you know when you're 12 13 years old Okay. Just last thing is I need to give a piece of advice since this is what we've been talking about. For people that want to be basketball writers or do something basketball-wise, you need to make sure that you're doing something unique and of quality because I get way too many people asking me, "Can you one, asking me, can you give me a job? No, I can't. No one's going to give you a job if you just hit someone up that you don't know saying, hey, can you give me a job? If you present them with something that would interest them, obviously they'll be interested. But I'll get people saying, hey, check out my podcast, read my article, and it's just like the exact same thing that I wrote or that somebody else wrote. It's using very cookie-cutter setups, stuff like that. You need to provide something unique. Put in a lot of effort and time to develop one thing that's unique and isn't necessarily time-stamped. Um, something that you can you, you can develop for a month and then give to someone to show it to them that wouldn't be stuck being a month old news. That's my best piece of advice. And since we've been talking about getting into the industry and all that stuff, that's what you got to do. And I know when I got the CLNS gig, it was still North Station Sports at the time. I spent a lot of time and developed at the time, which was the best I could do as like a 20 or 21 year old. Um, I wrote like a 700 word article in detail breaking down the way that Rajon Rondo had changed his di- his dribbling pattern and his attack strategy to make himself a more balanced point guard. And which is the way that I wrote it has now become kind of the standard, kind of the Zach Lowe model, um, which was, I think I wrote that at the time, Zach was just kind of getting his start at SI. Um, and he was, he's like probably the biggest inspiration to the way I write and cover sports. Um, um, but so if that's a great way to do it, show your knowledge, Show that you can attack attack something from a an unique angle and present it in a unique way because um, there's so many people out there now, like a ridiculous amount of people out there now that are capable of doing the most generic, bland stuff. And you need to be able to show that you can do something unique and special that makes you worthwhile. Yeah, that's why you have to be in touch
1: with your values and try to get that in alignment because as a human being, you're unique. And if you bring that unique perspective and you don't try to be somebody else, you just try to be who you are, then you're going to have much more luck with being successful with that. All right, everybody. Jared Weiss from CLNS Radio's Garden Report and Celtics Blog. Jared, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's been fun. Let's see it again soon. Follow Jared on Twitter at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. Another great interview as we keep rolling on with this off-season interview series. Next up later this week, John Corrales from Red's Army. So I'm definitely excited to talk to John. It's been since the draft night since we spoke with him, and uh, we'll be seeing what he's up to now with the Locked On Network for podcasting, and we'll really John was there at the very beginning as well right around the time Celtics blog and Celtics Stuff Live came about so we'll talk to him some more about that era and continue this discussion around uh, online media and some of the some of the ways that it has shaped how many of us approach our careers Jared really some good stuff there I, I do like he's very correct that in the Garden Report he's got more of the straight man uh, personality, but what I loved in this interview was a sense of humor coming out. Then we also talked about personal brand uh, differentiation and some creative control as well. So the Ernie Johnson of online media video coverage in Jared Weiss. So just a great guest, loved having Jared on. Real quick, we're going to announce. The fan essentials winner for this week. Uh, it's Australian Celtics fans. So at AUS Celtics fan right there on Twitter. I know there's been some back and forth dialogue since retweeting the show announcement last week from our friends from down under. So I will be sending out a direct message so that you know how to claim your prize. And uh, we're going to wrap it. That's going to do it for this week's show. Just a reminder, though, this broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget. Follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin, and at CSL underscore Duke. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in, and you can help support this show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review, because we want to hear from you, we want your feedback, and we want to know how we can make this show better. And a reminder that the show is brought to you by Audible and Fan Essentials. They've got great deals for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be sh- supporting our show and the entire CLNS radio network. And a big thanks to that entire loyal CLNS radio audience who makes it all worthwhile. And for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and for my co host, John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.